Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, tonight we have an excellent interview lined up. Mr. Uh, Paul Scott, uh, consultant for the electric uh, car and sustainable energy industry. Paul, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell them what your background is. Sure. Yeah, I've, um, I'm vice president and co-founder of Plug-in America, which is the nation's biggest uh, advocacy group for plug-in cars. And I uh, got involved with electric cars uh, about seven years ago when uh, my wife and I bought one from Toyota. Uh, this was a, a very rare car, as it turns out, um, and we can get into the details later. But we were energized to the whole issue after uh, having purchased a solar photovoltaic system to generate electricity from sunlight. We then had an electric car that could also run on that sunlight. So, um, yeah, that's that's when we got uh, involved in the political aspects of the electric car, and uh, we were featured in Who Killed the Electric Car, and that kind of launched the whole movement. Yeah, I remember that documentary, and I, I recommend it to people constantly, actually. That's one of the documentaries that actually sort of led me down the road of looking at things a little differently, you know, and heading towards, uh, you know, sustainable energy and, and also just to kind of under, have an understanding of how the profit system has a tendency to create problems for technology that can benefit mankind. Um, so I, I guess um, why don't you talk a little bit about, um, I know you guys said that there's been some news. Um, go ahead and you know, take a moment to get all of that out so that we don't forget. I know there were some things you wanted to report on and then we'll kind of go more into the history of the situation. Okay, well, one, one of the big um, uh, issues around electric vehicles that some people who aren't familiar with them uh, always bring up is that, well, where am I going to charge the car? And so charging infrastructure um, is, is a big deal to the car companies themselves because they want to make sure that there are plenty of charge stations for the, the cars because uh, that will help sell them. And then, of course, for people who live in apartments or park on the street where they don't have ready access to electricity, they want to know where could I par- uh, charge this car. So um, charging infrastructure is a huge deal. Uh, the federal government is putting millions of dollars, tens of millions, if not hundreds, and state governments are also chipping in, and then private companies are also chipping in. Um, and the reason that private companies like to chip in is that, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. When we go grocery shopping, we have a choice of about three grocery stores. Well. One of the grocery stores has a, a car charger, electric car charger, right out front, and it's free, um, and it's preferred parking. So we go to that <laughs> grocery store, park right next to the front door, plug in, and while we're shopping, and we'll spend 80 bucks on groceries, and they'll give us 15 cents worth of free electricity. So it's not a huge thing, but because they do that, that's where we shop. So uh, stores and shopping malls will be putting them in, uh, all over the place, so wherever you go, you'll be able to charge your car. Um, now, the news today was that this company is called Aerovironment. They're in Monrovia, uh, California, which is just outside of L.A., and they uh, just signed a contract with Nissan to supply the charging hardware for uh, the Nissan LEAF. So that was big news, and uh, we just heard about it today. I, I kind of knew they were talking, but uh, it was nice to hear that they've cut a deal because Zero Environment's a good company. They make really good equipment. Now, that's excellent news. Um, and I guess to kind of get into, like, you know, like I said, we'll go into the background a little bit more because I don't know how much my users 
Um, I have recommended um, Who Killed the Electric Car to a lot of them. I guess the question now is let's take a moment and talk about what electric cars are actually capable of even just today. Um, I know that we, when we last talked about you said that the electric car was going to be making a comeback. Um, so are there companies now, like are any of the big companies taking interest or is it just, is, are there individual entrepreneurs who are perhaps trying to do that? All of the above. You have small companies like Tesla Motors uh, bringing their cars to market, and they've already been in the market for over a year now. There's about a thousand of them out there, and uh, these are very uh, expensive. You know, over a hundred thousand dollars, but they're they're very high end, very fast cars, uh, and and they compete against Ferraris and Lamborghinis and and the high end Porsches, uh, and they beat them but they cost less than those cars. You know, a starter Ferrari will start at about a quarter million, and you have to tune it up every year at about a cost of $8,000 or so just to tune it up. So that's, that's what this car competes against, and it beats it, and it costs about a third as much, and it never needs a tune-up. Oh, and it runs on sunlight. So that's the Tesla Motors uh, car, and that's out there, out there right now. The other cars for the rest of us, uh, are coming from companies like GM with their Chevy Volt and Nissan with their Leaf. Uh, and there are a few others as well, but uh, those are the two that are coming to market first. And they'll be selling cars by the end of the year. You know, November, December, they'll be hitting the market. Yeah, I was in uh, Ohio, actually, on my way driving down towards the Venus Project, and I saw this little place, and I had meant to get the information, but unfortunately we didn't catch it on the way back because we took a different route. But they're these little, little, tiny electric cars, and I, I just—they look so cool. I don't—I don't know what brand that was, but um, uh, but uh, you know, I looked at it and it was like, you know, here you have this like little efficient-looking machine. You know, I'll bet it wouldn't take that long to charge it. I guess that's another thing about questions about it is, you know, um, like how long does it take to charge like the car, for example, you're talking about? How long can you go on one charge? And like, you know, I guess like, you know, you said like, you know, in the time that you're in the store, for example, how many miles would you roughly say you get out of, you know, the, the time that you're in the store, you know, in that charging? That is the right way, Neil, that is the right way to phrase the question. Thank you. Almost everybody says, well, how long does it take to charge the car? So you have to kind of qualify that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're completely empty, my car takes about five hours to charge. Mm -hmm. uh, but And then people think about that, well, gosh, where do I want to wait for five hours? And And then we have to tell them. Well, don't worry. You're going to charge it at night while you're sleeping. So when you come home, you plug it in, and the car has a timer on it so that you set the time to start charging whenever you want. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might, uh, since electricity is cheaper at night, you know we have we have it charged after midnight. So uh, that's when there's plenty of excess electricity on the grid. As a matter of fact, and this is kind of a key thing, uh, because we also get asked the question, uh, you know, how many electric cars could charge on the grid before we start you know, adding, uh, generating capacity. And as it turns out, there's enough excess capacity at night to charge 100, over 180 million electric cars wow. on the current grid. Now, that's without adding any new capacity. And, of course, we're adding new capacity, especially windmills, all the time. So, uh, so that's that question. But to get back to your original question about how long it takes to charge a car, um, the RAV4 EV that we drive, uh, charges at about six kilowatts, so we can get approximately 18 to 20 miles of range for every hour of charging. And okay. so you do this, what we call convenience charging. We typically charge at night uh, and fill it up, but sometimes if you have a long drive day the next day, 
uh, you know, for instance, I might have to go down to Orange County or up to Ventura County or some someplace far away. And so I'm going to need to charge while I'm out there on the road. So uh, you pull up to a charger, and, you know, if you only need five or ten extra miles of charge, then you're not going to sit there and charge it full and wait there at the charger. You're going to charge as much as you need and then go somewhere. Right. And you've got plenty of charge to get where you need to go. Uh, so that's how people will learn to, to use them. You, you'll just take it wherever you go. There'll be a plug. You plug it in while you're there, and, you know, you're, you're charging while you're going about your business, either getting coffee or getting your hair cut or shopping for groceries or whatever. Right. That makes perfect sense. I guess, um, you know, the, the questions they're going to ask are always going to be, you know, are, well, is the time you spend in those places going to be proportionate to the amount of time that you're driving or whatever? But, you know, as you pointed out, the kind of mileage that, you know, that information is there. And, you know, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, in addition to that, I mean, I imagine, you know, the battery technology is just going to get better and better. I mean, the first thing that occurred to me, I was like, you know, so what would be to stop you, for example, from just installing a whole other backup battery that, you know, runs on that? You could charge one while you're using the other or whatever. I mean, you probably know more about that than I do. I was just curious about that yeah, specific point. That, that's not going to be necessary. Uh, for one thing, the logistics of creating a car that you could easily take a battery in and out of are somewhat formidable. Uh, Nissan is trying that right now, or Nissan Renault, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, with a company called Better Place. And, uh, you know, it's possible to do that, but there are some really good engineering reasons why it's not going to be happening. Because mm -hmm. um, you have to build these cars so they can withstand pretty substantial crashes. And so those batteries have to be locked in there. And, and it's not easy to do to design something so that it can withstand crashes. And you can take a 500-pound you know, battery pack in and out in two minutes. Nissan's ah. doing it. I mean, they've, they've developed a whole uh, uh, structure that you drive into, and two minutes later, you drive out with a, a freshly charged pack. Wow. Uh, but, but, but again, there, you know, without going into too much detail, there's a lot of reasons why that's probably not ever going to happen. For one thing, um, most of your charging is going to be done at night. It's going to be rare that you absolutely need to charge while you're on the road because these cars are they're not made for long-distance driving at least not initially. Uh, so it's going to be your daily driver. It's the car you drive to and from work. And if you have a 100-mile range and your work has a charger, you know, you're not going to need convenience charging while you're out and about. It's, you're pretty much going to always have enough range, and, um, and you'll, you'll charge it again the next night when you go home. Okay. Um, but, but for those times when you do need them, they have uh, what are called level 3 charging. Uh, there are three levels. Level one is 120-volt charge, so that's any household outlet has that. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll be able to plug into those, and it would be very slow charging. But you can get a few miles. You know, if you're over at a friend's house and they don't have a charger, um, then you just plug into a, an outlet with an extension cord if you need to. You know, you don't always have to, but maybe you need to. And, mm -hmm. um, and you'll get a few miles worth of charge. Now, level two is a 240-volt charger anywhere from 30 amps up to about 100 amps. Now, uh, I charge at 240 volts, 30 amps, and that's about 6 kilowatts. Uh, and that's pretty fast, but if you were to go up to, say, 70 amps, you know, that would triple the speed of the charging. So mm -hmm. instead of, say, 18 miles or 20 miles an hour, I would be getting 60 miles of charge for every hour of charging. And right. that's pretty fast. Um, then there's level three. Now, level three starts at 480 uh, volts, 
and say 600 amps, and uh, and it can go as high as like over a thousand amps. Mm -hmm. So this is in industrial uh, strength charging, and you can charge these cars in 20 minutes with these chargers, and there'll be hundreds of them uh, deployed by the end of the year. So this is really good for people who live in apartments or park their cars where they can't have access to electricity. And there, there'll be a lot of those people who want to buy electric cars, but if you can't charge at night, then what do you do? And you can't spend five hours at the coffee shop, right? Right. So there'll be these fast chargers around town, and you'll get to know where they are, and they'll be located in places where you can spend a little bit of time. Let's say there's a coffee shop nearby or you know, uh, stores where you can spend some time uh, getting some work done or uh, chores done. And so you plug your car in, and 20 minutes later, it's full. So, right. Um, so that's that's going to be available as well, and that'll that'll help uh, uh, enable other people to buy cars, electric cars that otherwise might have a problem charging them. You know, and that's that's actually that's a very good information to have because 20 minutes is not really that unreasonable. It just means you know some people might panic because it's not maybe as easy as just going and filling your gas tank in what like five minutes or so, but. Um, you just plan your life a little differently. You make sure that you charge your car ahead of time. You know, you, yeah. you know, you, you just, it's, it's more of a matter of just kind of reprioritizing. And in the end, it's, I mean, honestly, I think the fact that I don't have to go somewhere else, I mean, you're going to save yourself some time in the long run. Like, for example, if you can charge it at home, because now I don't have to stop at a gas station somewhere before work or, you know, whatever, I'm already ready to go. I and mean, you know, somebody did just ask a really, good question in the chat room. Um, like, how much do you see, like, do you see a serious spike in your electric bill pre, like, before you were on EVs and then afterwards? Well, here's the beautiful part. If you have a good roof for solar, you not only don't see a spike, I, you know, here, here's what I pay. I, I pay about $100 a year for electricity, and that's for the house, my car, and my electric motorcycle. Uh, wow. But, but it's because I have solar. So this is one of the beautiful things about electric cars is you can make the energy for it uh, from the sunlight falling on your house, and it's extremely cost-effective. My system, my solar system, cost about fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and so I borrowed the money, you know, to buy it, and so I'm paying it off. It's going to pay for itself in less than ten years. I'm, I'm probably two to three years away for it paying for itself, but it will last the rest of my life. These systems will, they're guaranteed for 25 years, but the uh, photovoltaic systems that were installed in the 60s are still working. We don't know how long they'll last, but, you know, I'm, I'm telling people 40 to 50 years for sure. Um, so essentially you buy a, a system. These days you can buy a, a two-kilowatt system for, you know, around I mean, maybe ten to 12,000 before incentives and maybe five to 6,000 after incentives. And that's enough energy to last the rest of your life for an electric car. And when you mean incentives, you're talking about tax incentives, right? Correct. Yeah, there's a federal 30% tax credit. So if you buy, say, a $30,000 uh, photovoltaic system, you get $10,000 off your federal taxes. So it costs you 20. Now, here in California, we have other incentives from the utility level that are anywhere from, say, 15% up to 40% of the cost. So you definitely don't pay any more than about half the cost, and in some cases even less than that. Mm -hmm. Very cost-effective. Solar now is cheaper than grid electricity in most of the country. Yeah, people and that's, don't know it, but they, yeah, you're right. People don't know it. That's, we, we talk about that all the time, actually, in the Zeitgeist Movement and the Venus Project. Um, like uh, most people don't know that uh, Iceland is almost entirely pounded for, uh, powered by, for example, by geothermal power. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that there's a lot of these little uh, different ways of using energy. Um, geothermal is a little bit more complicated, you know, because you do have to have, like, a bit of as far as, like, the site and such. But I've seen people, for example, on a more local level, there's a guy working in a New York uh, named Carlton Brown. I've been trying to get a hold of him because I'd love to have him on my show. He was on Big Ideas for a Small Planet. And he uses geothermal for these, uh, uh, these um, renewable energy apartments that he's making in Harlem. Um, and he uses geothermal for the for heating and cooling. And he's like, it's so much less expensive. It's, it's not, you know, and it's self-contained, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that information is definitely all there. Um, and I guess uh, now, what about the other effects of things that happen to a car, like weather and stuff? I mean, uh, are electric cars mm-hmm. affected by cold weather? I know my electrical systems on my gas car are always terrible in the winter. Yeah, I, I, I will answer that, but uh, let me just finish because I realized I didn't quite finish the other guys. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's right. Um, so he wanted to know, does your electric bill go up? And yes, oh, it will right. go up, but your gasoline bill goes down. Now, if you take the national average for electricity, it's about $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. You, you are buying ga- you're buying electricity at an equivalent rate of about $0.70 cents a gallon for gas. So oh, wow. that's that's how much better it is. Plus, you don't spend any time going to a gas station. I mean, that that alone is worth something. You never get a smog check. You never get a tune-up. You never get, you know, the, these cars just keep on running. They need virtually no maintenance. I mean, it is amazing. My car hasn't been to Toyota in three or four years. I don't even think about it. It just keeps running. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, you know, there are all kinds of savings above and beyond that, but the energy savings is quite substantial. And when you consider that, when you buy gasoline, 60% of your money goes out of the country. And we really have to follow the money here, people, because uh, it, it's amazing what evil is done in the world with oil money. And oh, you yeah. know, I mean, the people paying attention to this radio program uh, are pretty aware people. And you know the oil companies are some of the most evil corporations on the planet. Absolutely. And, and then when you get into the Middle East and, and places like Venezuela and, and uh, Nigeria, the people who run the oil there, man, are just as bad. Uh, certainly the Saudis are some of the most evil people on the planet. And our money is going to them in, to the tune of over a billion dollars a day goes out of the mm-hmm. country. So when you buy electricity to run a car, your, your, your dollars stay domestic. This is a huge deal. And when, you know, right now there, there are a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand electric cars in this country. So it's, it's minuscule. But, um, as the cars start coming out at the end of the year, that are going to be thousands, then tens of thousands, then hundreds, then millions. We'll have a million cars on the road uh, by 2015. And uh, it's still going to be a drop in the bucket because there's 240 million cars in this country. But it's going to grow very rapidly after that. And then you're going to start seeing an impact because all those people that buy an electric car, they're shutting off their personal spigot of money going to the oil companies. And it will become a torrent of money not going out of the country. It will be staying in this country and mostly in your, in your own pocket because, you know, you get to keep most of that money now. You'll get, give some of it to your utility, but the bulk of it stays in your pocket, and you get to do whatever you want with that money. So that's that. Now, to go to, to, go to your question about um, uh, how does cold affect cars? Yeah, well, yeah. Good? Uh, yeah, little, real quickly, I just I, I need to make sure. one point. Um, just is that it, when we say things like the Saudi Arabians are evil or something to that effect, I have to make a qualifier. Is that I, 
what you're talking about would more be in line with the the Saudi Arabian government portion that was kind of hands in hands with the the neoconservative movement. Like you know, you see George Bush yeah. holding hands with one of those guys, and they're not talking about all Saudi Arabians. They're just we yeah, are thank, for thank inter- you for that qualification. I, you know, and I, and I, I tend I tend to sp- speak a little loosely uh, when I do that, but you know, I'm talking about the leaders of, the, of these people, um, right? And uh, you know, because they subjugate half their population. The women the women are slaves over there. They have no rights whatsoever. It's horrible what they do to their women, and most of the men are complicit in that. So when I speak about the evil Saudis, um, it's certainly the leadership. But, you know, the majority of the, the men in that country are evil as well because they're participating in it and they're not trying to fight it. So, but right. that said, right. <laughs> don't get me started on the Saudis again because they, I really don't like them. No, that's but, fine. Um, yeah, but that said, let's, uh, let's go to the um, uh, environmental cold, issues. Yeah, cold environmental issues with electric, yeah. Yeah, so you've got, you know, de- definitely in, in most of the United States, you're not going to have any issues with cold weather because it has to get really cold before it starts affecting the battery uh, but it does you know if you're down in under freezing it will diminish the range how much not really sure with lead acid it's pretty substantial but with lithium ion and nickel metal hydride um, it, it, it's substantially less than the uh, uh, lead acid batteries but if there is some uh, you know degradation on the range um, and I just I don't have the figures. We haven't had enough practice with them up there to find out. Uh, but it's just like with gasoline. If you're driving a gasoline car in really freezing cold, uh, you have a slight diminishment of your range. You know, you're not going to get as good a mileage if, as right. you do in uh, regular uh, temperatures. So, uh, but you know, you don't notice it with a gas car because you have a, you start off with a range of 300 miles, and if it's you know 250, you probably wouldn't even notice the difference. Um, but, you know, with an electric car, if you have a range of 100 miles and it drops to, say, 70 or 80, well, you're going to notice that. But again, you know, if you have chargers everywhere you go, it really won't be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, and I, and I recognize that for sure. I, I just know that's a question that would have been asked around here, <laughs> being as how I live in Michigan. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I guess, um, you know, the, the other things that I, I was, you know, um, that, that come to mind about electric cars, you know, one of the things that popped into my head was you mentioned electric motorcycles, and I know that's, that's kind of a, a, a thing of mine. I've always been fascinated with the notion of an electric motorcycle, and that sounds like something that maybe could, you know, because it's smaller, I mean, I guess maybe it has a smaller battery, maybe it, maybe it wouldn't be as, you know, effective, and I imagine you could shed some light on that. Yeah. I drive a, a what's called a Vectrix. It's V-E-C-T-R-I-X, mm-hmm. and it's an American company. Um, they just went chapter uh, chapter 11 earlier this year. Uh, they just couldn't crank out enough bikes to make it uh, past the launch period, but they just got bought by a Korean battery company, and so I think they're gonna they're gonna pull back out. They have a dynamite bike. Um, I've been riding it for close to three years, and it's got this phenomenal regenerative uh, braking. If you drive a motorcycle, you, you know uh, that your right wrist uh, is where the accelerator is, the gas. And so when I'm driving this bike, you know, I accelerate like everybody else. But when I want to stop, I have brakes. I don't use the brakes. I just rotate the uh, accelerator backwards, and, and it's regenerative braking. So you're using the motor to recapture the energy you spent, or at least some of the energy you spent accelerating and so you end up ride, driving this thing with one hand, <laughs> and, and, there, and there's, of course, there's no gears or anything. 
and it's fast as all get out. I can you know I can keep up with the BMW off the line, um, and it holds two people really well, and and so it's just this dream bike to ride, uh, and it'll go highway speeds. Uh, the range is about 50 miles, and I can go 50 miles on 35 cents worth of electricity. It's that efficient. So uh, it's really fun. Now, there are other bikes uh, in development right now. There's a company called Mission Motors in San Francisco, and they've built the bike that's a monster. This thing is so fast. They took it out to the Salt Flats about six months ago, and you can Google this and find it. They have videos. That thing went over 150 miles an hour. And it's got a range of about 150 miles, but wow. it, costs, it costs about 50 grand. So this is a this is a serious bike. Uh, but the price will come down, you know, as as the uh, technology improves and as the mm-hmm. numbers of sales go up. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of um, really monster fast bikes out there because electric torque is just incredible. Uh, just to give you an example, those people who follow drag racing know what a you know, a zero to 60 time, uh, you know, of, say, three or four seconds is pretty fast, you know, and, and there are a lot of cars that can do that. But there's an electric motorcycle called the Telecycle, and it was built for dragging, and that that bike goes zero to 60 in 0.98 seconds. <laughs> wow. Less than a second, you're going 60 <laughs> miles an hour, and mm-hmm. it's, it, it's killer. Nothing touches this thing, but that's because electric torque is... is incredibly powerful you have uh, there are no torque curves on an electric car you know with a gas car you've got in order to get the, the most power you've got to rev it up to three or four thousand rpm so you're blowing all this crap out of your tailpipe and wasting all this energy just to get it up to where you can really use the torque mm-hmm. with an electric bike there's no torque curve it's a flat line at a hundred percent so you have a hundred percent torque all the time and so you're when you when you take off the line those things really bolt. I mean, they're they're really quick. Yeah, you know, you even see that even just on the miniature level, like uh, with RC cars, like little radio-controlled yep. cars, you know, like because you can get gas-powered ones, and I've always, always like, you know, if you're going to, why would you really bother? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> making all like, that noise, gluten the air like that. And, you know, you, you hit the accelerator on a on an electric little RC car, and it's it's going, you know, top speed right away. It it, it doesn't oh, yeah. mess around. Um, we, fun. We, when, when, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think it's fun when you're uh, driving a Tesla uh, Roadster, for instance. Um, I've had the opportunity a few times to drive them in. They're incredible because the zero to sixty on those cars is three point nine seconds, and you're in a you know a two seater sports car that it, it makes no noise. I mean, you're just sitting there and you want to go. You, you're you're just like to the next block before you know it, and it feels really cool to feel that kind of acceleration. That's what I was and thinking about about motorcycles, would just be the notion, because you're used to a powerful motorcycle being this loud machine, just to be shooting around at 150 miles an hour on this silent, you know, <laughs> motorcycle. I'd have to be kind of tripped out. You'd, you'd feel like, did I go deaf or something? Yeah, um, I know. We it's actually just, have uh, questions from feeling. a caller, if you don't mind. They wanted to be sure. added to the call. Um, sure. Give me just a moment, and I'll get them in here. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that whole notion of electric car, electric uh, motorcycles in particular uh, really stuck in my head, and, I, and it made me think, you know, about like, uh, you know, like the, the the little convenience vehicles, like scooters and stuff. I imagine somebody's got to be making those by now. You know, just like the oh, little cuts to get from place to place. In China, there's there's uh, about 500 manufacturers of electric bikes now. It's, mm. it's huge over there. They're selling them by the uh, probably by the millions by now. 
That's very, very popular. popular. All right. Well, um, I'm just bringing our caller on. Okay, Thunder, uh, you had some questions? Yeah. Hi, Paul. Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. I haven't, unless I missed it, I haven't heard you discuss about uh, the whole incident with Texaco and, and the way they screwed up the, the whole technology back uh, when they had batteries that could literally drive these cars a thousand or more miles on a I single think it was charge. Five hundred. I know what you're talking about. That was mentioned in Who Killed the Electric Car. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share anything on that, Paul? I definitely do. Yeah. Um, uh, the the caller's right. Um, the battery that he's talking about is the nickel metal hydride battery. It is the car the battery that's in the car that I drive. And nickel metal hydride is also in all the hybrids in the world right now. But this particular battery is a 95-amp-hour uh, battery that uh, uh, works really well. When the EV1, the GM EV1, was first released, they had Delco uh, lead-acid batteries in it. And these were pretty crappy batteries. You had a range of maybe 80. You could probably squeeze 100 miles out of it. Uh, but they, they were not very well-made. They failed uh, quite a few times. And so the, gener- the Gen 2, the Generation 2 um, EV1 came out. They, they essentially brought them all back in and put these nickel metal hydride batteries in that this fellow in Detroit had invented. His name is Stan Ovzinski. And if you see the movie, you'll see him in there a lot. Um, so he, he uh, invented this new type of battery. And now the EV1 had a 140-mile range. And these batteries were lasting a long time. In my car, you know, it's it's seven years old, 78,000 miles, and it still runs like a brand-new car. So I've had zero degradation in seven years. Um, so these, these batteries work really well. Now, uh, he sold the rights to these batteries to GM when, when they decided to take the, the battery on. And, uh, and then when GM, you know, two or three years later, uh, killed the program, uh, they then sold the, the patent rights to that battery to uh, Chevron Texaco. And at that point, you could no longer buy that battery. It became unobtainable. So uh, we, we suspected that they just wanted to sit on it. But, uh, and we fought for years trying to get the information out of them. But what happened was about, I guess it's been about six months ago now, uh, Chevron sold those patent rights to a Korean company. So they might become available again. But since then, you know, the entire auto industry is now um, going after lithium-ion batteries. So I think we'll see the nickel metal pack back in, in the future, but the commodity price of nickel has gone up quite a bit. So uh, there'll be expensive batteries, uh, but they're very good, and you just need to pencil out how much does the battery cost, how far can you go on it uh, before you need to get a new pack, and run the numbers, and, and it may in the future uh, be very cost-effective to go back to nickel. Uh, but in the meantime, I think the entire industry is going to be using lithium-ion because they seem to be working really well. Okay, that's great. Did you have another? You had another question, didn't you, Thunder? I actually have two more questions. Just to uh, go on with the with the first one, do you do you feel or do you uh, suspect that? I mean, it's obvious the oil companies don't want to see this technology because it obviously will cut into their profits. Do you see that as being a major? Uh, problem with the development of better batteries and better technology? Not in the, the development of batteries because there's so much money to be made in batteries that people not associated with the oil industry are jumping all over it and countries. I mean, China's huge on, on batteries right now. Uh, Japan, Korea, uh, a lot of the Euro countries are getting into it, and the U.S. is finally waking up now that we've got Obama in there. 
um, and they're paying attention to it as well. So the, the development of batteries is going to go really fast and furious for the next uh, several decades, I bet. Um, and the oil companies can't stop that now. Uh, Bush, Bush did his best to slow it all down, and, okay. uh, you know, he, and he was quite effective. But, uh, yeah, so the oil companies aren't going to be able to touch us. But they're doing their darndest to uh, depress the market for EVs. And I'll give you two examples. Um, just recently, about a month ago, a report came out from the National Research Council, and the Washington Post picked it up. You can Google it. And, um, and, and it was this supposed report. Now, I put quote marks when I say report uh, because it's not real. Uh, they studied the, uh, the whole uh, adoption, what they thought the adoption rate would be for electric vehicles over the next uh, couple of decades. And they had these ridiculous numbers that it was going to take, you know, 15, 20 years before uh, there would be any appreciable adoption. And, uh, and it turns out that the authors of the report were, uh, you know, like the head, of the, the head guy was a VP of Exxon, you know, a retired VP of Exxon. The entire committee that wrote this report were fuel cell people and oil people. Now, fuel cells are, you know, that's the technology they want to push because they'll sell you the hydrogen for it. So it was a biased report, and the Washington Post, which I consider one of the best papers in the country, did not do their homework. They, they wrote the article on this and, and as though it were real without citing the fact that the authors of the report were biased. And, you know, if you're coming from an oil company, you have to be biased when you're talking about electric cars. And then uh, recently, about a week ago, Boston, oh, I'm going to butcher this, the Boston Research Council or something, uh, I'm, I'm missing the, I'm, I'm not getting that correct, but it just came out last week, and it was another report about how they studied the adoption rate of electric vehicles, and they think it's going to be really slow, people aren't going to want to buy them. And it's just bogus because they, they have no clue, no clue what it's like to drive an electric car and how people are going to flock to this technology once they try it. So uh, the oil companies, and, and I can almost guarantee you that if you look deep enough into this Boston consulting group or whoever wrote it, uh, they're going to be replete with oil people. You just have to dig down deep enough. Right. Uh, I just... Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just, I mean, not only that, but the, the service industry, which makes millions of dollars on, on standard uh, gas-powered vehicles and stuff, I, I suspect at some point when they realize all the money being pulled out of their pockets because the electric car uh, has so few service issues, I see that as being an issue. But my other uh, question, I'm, I'm, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I just am curious if you are aware of any technologies and I've been fascinated by this for some time, that uh, will, will enable these electric cars to, uh, to whatever degree, generate some of their own uh, revamping of electricity, meaning uh, a generator or an alternator or whatever the case may be, that will work on some type of pulley system that while the electric car is driving, it's actually recharging its batteries to some degree, obviously not, uh, not like a perpetual uh, motion setup, or and I don't want to go down that road, but something that will, something that will recharge the batteries so that uh, so that you get a little more mileage out of what you already have and won't have to charge them or recharge well, them so often. Yeah, that's the the Chevy Volt. Have you heard of that yet? I've heard of it. I have not done yeah. much research in it though. Here, here's here's how it's going to, like, um, the Chevy Volt is a uh, an electric car but its battery pack will only take you about 40 miles. 
but they've got a small gasoline engine that uh, w- once your battery state of charge gets down near near the bottom, uh, then this gasoline engine automatically comes on, and it's not hooked up to the drivetrain. It does not turn the wheels. It's hooked up to a generator. So all it does, it, it'll run at a constant 2,000 RPM, uh, the kind of a sweet spot, and so it just generates electricity. So with a full tank of gas, you can go another 300 miles. And wow. um, Yeah, so that's, that's called a plug-in hybrid, and there's a lot of them coming out. Uh, the Prius will be one. They're testing them right now. So the Prius will be a plug-in hybrid. Uh, Ford's got one in the works. Uh, and then let's see what else. Uh, uh, Volvo's got one. Mercedes got one. Uh, uh, let's see, Porsche is coming out with one. So they're all in development right now, and they'll be available uh, starting, well, the, the Volt comes out in November. So this year you'll be able to buy an American-made electric car that runs on domestic electricity, and we are so happy to, to have that coming. So, yeah, your, your idea is, is absolutely spot on, and uh, so there'll be, in the future, pure electric cars like the Nissan Leaf and then plug-in hybrids like the Chevy Volt, and they'll come in all sizes and all shapes and all colors. So you'll, if you don't like what the Leaf looks like and you don't like what the Volt looks like, wait a little while, or better yet, Instead of just waiting, call the, the manufacturer you like, whether it's Ford or Mercedes or whatever, and tell them, I'm not going to buy a new car until there's a plug on it. And by the way, I want it to look like this and, and run like that. And start right. telling them what you want. But don't buy a new car until there's a plug on it. And make sure That's they know that because, <laughs> because that will implore them to um, get to market faster. Yeah, they need to recognize that the them being in bed with the oil companies is not going to be as profitable as them being in bed with their consumers. That's right. <laughs> so. and, and by the way, I want to speak to your comment, uh, the, the caller's comment, because you were spot on about that, uh, about the uh, dealers not liking electric cars because of the maintenance. And he's absolutely right. And this is it's kind of an, a legitimate complaint from the dealer's perspective. Industry-wide, 40% of the profit for automobiles comes from parts and service, but the lion's share of that profit is at the dealer's side. The manufacturer, you know, makes more of the profit from the point of sale, but the dealer gets a lot of their profit from servicing the car after the fact, and these electric cars really don't need very much service, so that's kind of a big issue for them, and they're going to have to kind of change the way they do business uh, and try to get more of their profit from point of sale because they're not going to get much afterwards. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point that I don't think a lot of people realize in how much money they're going to be saving because, as you pointed out, you know, some people might be concerned about their electric bill, but they're not looking at the fact that you spend so much money on maintenance, whether it be, you know, even if it's a newer car, you know, yeah, maybe then it's just oil changes or, you know, whatever, but, you know, there's so much money. It's like right now, for example, I really should be repairing my van because the brakes are going out and, you know, I can't really afford to right now, but I'm going to have to do it anyway. There's There's so many other... Um, inconveniences that come with the gas that I don't think people mm-hmm. recognize re- immediately. But um, was there anything else, Thunder? I had another caller. No, that was it. Thank you so much. No problem, Thunder. Um, that was uh, Thunder uh, from um, Truth or Fiction Radio, and we always like to have him on our show. Uh, and I had another caller who wanted to come on. It was Sean. So give me just a moment, Sean, and I'll add you to the call. Um, but... 
Yeah, once again, uh, you know, that I don't think, you know, people won't really look into how much money they spend on maintaining their cars, especially when they get older. Now, you were saying that, you know, you've had your car, your electric car for how long? Seven years, just past the seven-year anniversary at uh, Solstice, Winter Solstice. Seven years, and you've never had to take it in for anything? Uh, we had the shocks replaced last year, and that was the only repair we'd done to the car, and that was at 63,000 miles, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Now we have replaced the tires twice. Right. You know, you get about forty thousand miles out of a tire, and uh, so we've had two uh, sets of tires on it. Uh, windshield wiper blades, we've had those replaced, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and well, in comparison, I mean, those are things that are going to go bad no matter what car you have. Generally, right. at least the way they're being designed right now. So, I mean, I, I definitely don't fault you there. In comparison to like, you know, what I would have to do to my van in the last seven years, that's like that's nothing. That's pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, let me add Sean here to the call. Should be ringing in now. Hello, Sean. Welcome to V Radio. You had a question? Yeah. Um, I was, my question is, has there been anyone that's been trying to have an alternative to actual battery technology, like using a capacitor instead of an actual battery? Because I would think a capacitor would be able to actually charged faster than a battery. Yeah, I like this question, and uh, I like where you're coming from, too. Um, you're absolutely right. There's a company called eStore, E-E-S-T-O-R, out of Austin, Texas, and uh, they've got a very exciting technology because it's an ultra-capacitor, and the caller is exactly right. Ultra-capacitors or capacitors in general you can charge them as fast as whatever current you have. They'll accept whatever charge you've got, and they'll um, uh, let you take that charge back out as fast as you want, too. So the power capacity for these things is phenomenal. You can charge and discharge them a million times. They will not wear out. So they'll last the life of several cars. They weigh very little compared to a battery. They're, uh, according to eStore, and if what they've got is correct, um, they don't. They even cost less than a battery. So, if what they've got is real, and there are a lot of people who speculate otherwise, uh, but if it's real, it's a complete game changer. It will make batteries obsolete. It'll make internal combustion obsolete, and it'll do so overnight. Now, this company has had major investments from uh, Kleiner Perkins, and uh, let's see, there was a major defense contractor, and I'm spacing their names, but it's like Northrop or something like that. It's a big one. It's not Northrop, though, but they've invested, and uh, as I understand, this device is working in a military vehicle with a 300-mile range. So uh, if this is real, uh, and the reason I, I keep saying yes is they've, they've been saying for two years they're going to come to market, and they haven't, so a lot of people are saying they're just uh, playing the stock game. Uh, but at any rate, if it's real, uh, that's a huge thing. And now let's let's leave eStore alone because there's speculation about whether they're real or not. Uh, Maxwell makes uh, capacitors. They're working with uh, battery uh, cars as well. And here's how it's going to work, and I like this a lot. Uh, one of the things about battery cars is when, when you build a battery for a car, you're, you're either going to optimize it for range, in other words, energy capacity, or power. Uh, and the goal, of course, is to have a battery that has really good uh, uh, power characteristics as well as energy capacity. So you can go a long distance and you have a lot of power. Um, 
so it's it, but it's kind of hard to do both, you know. And so um, what the capacitor can do is, if you put a, an ultra capacitor in your car with the battery, you can optimize the batteries for range for energy, and so you'll have this long range battery. But all your regenerative uh, braking goes into this capacitor. So every time you stop the car, you know, every time you touch the brakes, the energy, the regen, is going into your capacitor. And so when you take off from a dead stop, and this is where you need power from the battery, well, you don't need it. You're going to use the capacitor to take off the front, uh, you know, take off the dead stop. Uh, and then you bleed into the, um, the energy from the battery after you've got the car running. And so this is a really, uh, you know, it's a phenomenally uh, efficient way to, to make a car both powerful and long distance um, and be all electric. And it'll make the battery last a lot longer, too, because you're not having these really hard drains on it. So uh, capacitors are huge in electric cars and going to be much more so in the future. So I would uh, start, if, you, if you're investing in the stock market, Start looking around at the capacitor companies and see who's teaming up with who. And um, I mean, I'm I'm salting money around <laughs> in the various battery companies and and other companies that are in this um, sector because the good ones are going to do really really well. Yeah, that capacitor technology sounds like it could really change the world. Um, oh yeah. We have another caller. Uh, let me go and bring him on from the Blog Talk switchboard. Uh, caller in the. Sorry, hold on a second. 303 area code, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, Neil. Um, my question, uh, I have a couple general questions for Paul, and uh, let me know if I start running over my time. But one thing you were talking about is those 20-minute uh, charging stations, and that sounds wonderful. I wonder what kind of government restrictions or what sort of uh, bureaucratic red tape you're going to have to cut through to be able to implement those all over the country. Well, uh, I don't think too much because the uh, – the electric vehicles, uh, you know, the government really loves them, at least the government we have now, uh, because you know, right now we're spending, you know, 500 to $700 billion a year for foreign oil. So if we can do something that will start saving that money, then the government likes it. So they like the idea of, of switching over to electric cars for that main reason and plus you know, our military costs and all that. Um, so you're, you're going to see very little uh, red tape, uh, at least, uh, after we get going, you know, watch the West Coast. Watch California, Oregon, and Washington because we're just like balls to the wall right now uh, getting this stuff out. And we're literally uh, looking at installing 12,000 to 15,000 chargers this year. And, uh, and so electricians, is, this is going to be major uh, employment for electricians all across the country. And as these things roll out across the country, you know, people are going to be installing chargers everywhere. So you're going to have level one is pretty much all over anyway, uh, but level two, the medium-speed charging, will go into people's garages or in their driveways, uh, at stores and shopping centers and movie theaters. But the level three, the fast charging that you're talking about, um, they'll be mostly on the freeways because that enables a 100-mile range car to go, you know, to, I mean, you will have to stop a few times, but you could drive it across country. Um, and just stop for lunch every 100 miles. I don't know if you'd want to do that, but you could. Or you could drive you know, from L.A. to San Francisco, uh, and that would not be too hard at all. Um, and so it enables you to do these intercity driving with a pure electric car. Um, but the other, pe the other people that will use it, as I said earlier, is that you know, if you don't have access to electricity where you park your car at night, 
then you're going to need a fast charger. Or if you have a charger at work, you can also use it there. But I don't think you're going to see much uh, interference from governments. I know where I live in Santa Monica, you know, the city councils all over this, Pasadena, L.A., San Francisco, you know, the mayors, the city councils, they're chomping at the bit to get this stuff out there. And as a matter of fact, they're rewriting code uh, here in California and Vancouver and uh, all over the place on the West Coast. They're rewriting codes to make the um, uh, application for a charging install much easier because you've got a pull permit and all that. You've got to get a qualified electrician to install it. So uh, sometimes those things can take, you know, two or three days in a lot of red tape. Well, they're making it so you go in and you walk out with the permit because they want it that bad. That's really awesome. Did you have another uh, question? Yeah, well, and I, was, I agree. That is really awesome. It's actually very exciting. I hope to see that in, in the near future. Um, another question I had, and this is just because I have you know, a lot of buddies that drive really big trucks and that sort of thing, gas-guzzling vehicles. Um, how realistic will it be to get those types of vehicles um, running on electric? So, you know, some giant off-road pickup truck, something like that, kind of like what Neil had on his show previously with the, uh, you know, trucks running on vegetable oil, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, you know, I understand that there are people who need large vehicles for work, and, uh, and so those can be electric or plug-in hybrid, very easy. We had a, a parade for the inauguration last year here in Santa Monica, and we, in three weeks we uh, uh, aligned 78 vehicles, all of them highway-capable electric vehicles, one of which was a Hummer H2 converted to pure electric. And, you know, that, that Hummer ran great. Uh, now, it's going to use a lot more kilowatt hours than my RAV or a Tesla, but right. it just proves the point that you can make it. Uh, and as a plug-in hybrid now, we had a, a school bus that was a plug-in hybrid. We had um, another truck called a Balcon. Now, this truck is able to haul 60,000 pounds. They use it for hauling the big uh, containers in the port of L.A. and the port of Long Beach. And they're perfectly silent. They're electric vehicles, but they'll haul 60,000 pounds. So you can make any kind of vehicle electric. You know, but, but physics, you're never going to get around physics. You know, the, the bigger, the, you know, the more mass you have to move, the more energy it takes, whether it's gasoline, diesel, or electricity, or natural gas. It just takes more energy to move a bigger vehicle. So as long as you're willing to pay that penalty, um, then absolutely you can, you can make anything. It, it'll be a little bit longer. They're not going to be the first cars to come out. Right. But, you know, five years from now, absolutely, they'll be electric trucks, big ones. I imagine, you know, one benefit of it being a large vehicle is, like, one of the things you're trying to do when you're making these cars is people are accustomed to certain sizes. I mean, like, let's say you want That's to turn exactly a normal point. <laughs> you know, tractor trailer into an electric vehicle. It's probably going to have a lot more room under that hood for a bigger battery, you know, um, things of that nature. Or, you know, I don't know a lot about this stuff, but I think I kind of made my point is that hopefully the, the bigger it is, the bigger uh, battery and other systems, you know, maybe even those capacitors we're talking about, it'll be able to hold. Yeah, the tractor trailers are going to be the last, and, and it'll be a long time before those are electric, unless the e-store thing really works, because if east if, if the ultra capacitors really do work at that level, you will be able to make a tractor trailer pure electric. Absolutely. That'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Um, well, thank you, caller. Um, Sean has another question. Go ahead. Um, I'm planning on actually experimenting with the capacitor battery idea. Uh, I was wondering if 
they would try to come after me because I'm experimenting with it. No, no, do whatever you can. If you come up with a, a better mousetrap, if you can combine a, a capacitor and a battery and, and make a car run with it, you'll get hired by one of the large car companies. They'll pay you a lot of money to do that. So nobody's going to come after you. This is the U.S., man, and, and you, this is one of the beautiful things about our country. If you're smart and industrious and you come up with a good idea, you can make a lot of money out of it. I know a lot of people. Uh, I've met them since moving here, and they're you know, multi-multi-millionaires because they had a smart idea and they ran with it. The guy I work for, Elon Musk, he's a South African, came over here when he was in his 20s, wrote a program called PayPal. Maybe you heard of it. And, <laughs> yeah. He sold it to eBay for about a billion dollars, and the kid was 34 years old when he did this, and he started three companies. He started Space Explorations, or SpaceX. It's a rocket company. 34-year-old kid started his own rocket company, and it's very successful, by the way. They just landed a $1.5 billion contract with NASA to replace the shuttle. And then he started two other companies, Tesla Motors and Solar City. So an electric car company, the best electric car company in the world, and one of the most successful solar companies in the United States. So uh, and that's who I work for. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting. You know, just to point out when you talk about NASA and all that is like, you know, are we ever going to be able to see any form of jet propulsion that uses electricity, or is that something that's always going to be slave to the, uh, to the, you know, the fossil fuels? It's funny you ask because uh, it, there's a big fly-in uh, up in, every summer up in, I think it's Wisconsin. Um, there's mm -hmm. thousands of planes that fly in. And for the last two years, there have been electric planes. Now, these, these planes don't have a long range. The first year, it was 20 minutes. But last year, it was 40 minutes. So, and I have friends that work at AeroVironment, and what they do up there is they make electric airplanes and uh, big ones. Uh, they also make really small ones that the military buys. They put cameras on them, and these are lithium-ion powered airplanes the size of your hand, or, or some of them have a three-foot wingspan. And so the soldiers love these things because they used to have to send a soldier around the corner or over the hill to see where the enemy was, and sometimes they'd get shot. So now they send these airplanes, and they use a little joystick, and they're looking at, I mean, the cameras are incredibly resolute. I mean, you can see all kinds of detail, and they're silent, and they can hover, and so the, the soldiers don't have to go get shot. They can find out who's around there and deal with it remotely. Um, and, of course, now they're putting ordinance on some of these. So, um, but at any rate, um, yeah, airplanes, absolutely. It's, it, the big ones, not for a long, long time. I mean, you're going to have to have serious breakthroughs in, in energy storage in order to get any kind of a big airplane. But a single-seat or a, a two-seat airplane, they're already doing it. And uh, as far as the big jetliners, uh, Richard Branson, or Sir Richard Branson, has been experimenting with uh, biofuels, and they're running some of the engines on biofuels now, and they fully expect to be able to do that 100% uh, biofuels in jet planes probably one to two decades. It might take yeah. a little while, but yeah. And well, even then, I mean, the, the, the positive uh, impacts on our environment, I mean, if we were only using those fossil fuels just for things like big jets and stuff, we would still do so much better, you know, um, overall. And I, I, we're getting down now to the last six minutes of the actual on-the-air show. Um, I wanted to talk to you just a little bit to touch on this issue, uh, you know, because we talked a little bit about the Venus Project and the, the direction that we've been talking about taking things in. Um, Jacques Fresco, the presenter of the, of the Venus Project, eventually hopes to see that all vehicles will eventually be electric, and 
he talks about the fact that, you know, there really is no reason we can't have that going on right now. You know, the infrastructure, if we invested, yeah, I mean, and this is kind of the question I want to ask, you know, is like if we, for example, were to invest um, as a, even just as a country in the United States, you know, if we decided, you know what, you know, if we're going to war over oil, maybe it's a clear and present danger. What if we had like a, a Manhattan Project style um, you know, like or, or scale project where we put so much resources into it to just get rid of the need for fossil fuels for our cars altogether. Do you think we could do that given the, you know, those kinds of resources, just get rid of all of these gas guzzling machines with the exceptions of the ones we've already talked about with that kind of effort? Uh, you, you could you could do a very good job of it, but uh, it, it, it would still take many many years. You know, worldwide there's over 800 million vehicles. In this country alone, there's 240 250 million vehicles, and just the manufacturing uh, aspect of it alone would take a long long time. Uh, but you know, it, I, I would fully support such a, an effort. Uh, unfortunately, uh, with our the political system, as broken as it is, you, you'll never get that uh, this way. So we're we're going to have to do it retail. We're going to have to you know start slow and build up fast. Uh, I see it happening quite rapidly, though, uh, much more so than a lot of the naysayers. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, you, all of your listeners are going to have to be prepared and and just don't buy a new car now. Just save your money and wait until the electrics come out, and then be prepared to really push the market because the manufacturers are still nervous. You know, I'm telling Nissan. And, and GM is saying, you guys have nothing to worry about, but they're still nervous. You know, they, they put a lot. GM's whole life is on the line now with the Volt. If that, if that fails in the marketplace, they're pretty much tanking. Uh, Nissan has put, you know, his reputation, Carlos Ghosn, the CEO, has put his reputation on this. They're going, you know, as fast as possible to go fully electric, and, and you know, I really love their product. But, you know, they're still nervous about it. Uh, so what I want is for people, when you buy gas now, from now on, uh, when you buy gas, whatever you pay, double it. Put the, the other half into an account that you don't touch. When you get an oil change, double it. Put that money in that account too. And this is your, your forced saving account for your electric vehicle so that when the one that, that you like comes along, you might like the lease and get one early. Or you might like the Volt, get one early. But maybe you, you want to wait for the Ford or you want to wait for the Mercedes or something. So keep saving that money every time you buy gas. And, and then you'll have this nice pile of money plus your trade-in. And um, that'll, that'll launch you into the electric vehicle. Um, excellent. You know, um, this has been a great conversation. Now, um, can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about what it is you're doing? I mean, I learned about you specifically on your blog, but um, go ahead and um, you know, take a moment to tell my listeners where they can find you. Uh, our organization is called Plug in America, and it's go ahead. PluginAmerica.org. My blog is. Um, Oh, Christ, I don't even remember my blog. But it's just, if you Google Paul Scott at Blogspot, you'll, it'll probably come up, and you can start reading the stuff I've been writing. But uh, if you ever want to get on my blog, um, I, uh, I, I send out an email to everybody, and it's about 1,200 people now. So just email me at paul at pluginamerica.org. I'll put you on the list, and okay. then you'll get all my blogs. All right, excellent. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Um, and uh, we're now down to, I guess, the last 60 seconds of the show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org. Um, I will try to make sure that the link to his blog is available there very soon. 
Um, thanks again for coming on, Paul. Um, and uh, we'll actually, after we disconnect from the live show, I'll be able to talk to you a little bit and ask you how you, you know, felt about how the show went. And um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Um, I really, you know, very happy with the support that I've been getting from all of you. And um, you guys really, especially like the emails where you tell me that you appreciate the things that I've been doing, really makes it worth it because more goes into this than you might think. Um, so um, thanks again, everybody. And um, I'm going to go off with a one, uh, basically uh, some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. Uh, yeah, eventually. <laughs> Sorry. Here we go. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is John Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is John Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio. Played that twice just in case you missed it the first time. Actually, I did it by accident, but I wanted to make it sound good. Thank you for tuning in to V Radio.